What's going on? Welcome into the Friday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salarson. I know all of you are still trying to get some power back here in the city of New Orleans and outside of New Orleans. Hope everyone is staying safe uh, during this tough time. Um, I hope you all enjoyed the Ryan Anderson podcast yesterday talking about Stan Van Gundy that's still available online, pelicans.com, the mobile app, or on iTunes if you missed it and want to listen to it. We did want to try to stay in line today with our NBA draft preview. Again, the draft is now almost three weeks away on November 18th with the Pelicans securing the number 13 pick. We will continue with our draft preview today with picks number three and four as uh, the Charlotte Hornets sit at, at pick number three and the Chicago Bulls with pick number four. We have two great guests today. Jim Eichenhofer will join me once again as we'll talk to Rick Bonnell, who covers the Hornets in the NBA for the Charlotte Observer, and Casey Johnson Bulls insider for NBC Chicago as we want to combine them today so we can stay on track. I know these last couple days have not been ordinary to say the least, but we want to make sure we get back to the Cavs and the Hawks next week. Um, So we want to combine them today as we had uh, some really good conversations with the two. So I'm going to just get right to it. Again, I hope everyone is staying safe. Hopefully everyone gets their power back soon. I know some have it, some don't, and the cleanup is underway. And we do want to thank all the linemen and everyone out there trying to restore power and get everyone back up and running as quickly as possible. Well, enough for me. Let's start with pick number three uh, with Rick Bonnell of the Charlotte Observer. Uh, Rick, good to talk to you. How are things in Charlotte? Um, a little more normal, I'd say. Um, it's um, Things are starting to open up a little bit as far as businesses. Um I, I understand from friends who've been in New Orleans lately that there are an awful lot of restaurants still closed. That's a shame because it's, as a foodie, it's just about my favorite city in America. Absolutely. Yeah, it is tough going right now, but glad to hear some things are normal for you guys in Charlotte. But nothing's really normal about this NBA draft and really about the last NBA season, season and potentially what's to come. So before we get into the draft, kind of give New Orleans fans a brief synopsis on how the Hornets roster looks at this point. Uh I would argue that they are the most starless team in the league. They have a lot of good complementary pieces. They spent most of last season um, devoting playing time to young people. You know, a lot of coaches talk about that. Um, James Borrego, who, you know, one time was a Pelicans assistant, Mm -hmm. um, he called his shot before the season ever started, and he totally committed to that plan. Uh, To me, it's it's rather striking that 49% – of their total minutes last season went to six players in their first or second NBA seasons. They really saw playing time as more of a commodity than anything else last season. And, and they benefited from it because um, people like PJ Washington, people like um, Devonte Graham um, and even people like, you know, the Martin twins and, and Jalen uh, McDaniels, who was taken, you know, almost at the end of the draft last year, they were all dramatically better players for the experience to the point that, you know, by the end of the season, they were a pretty good team. Um, The very last game of the season, they came back from a 20 point deficit in Miami to beat the heat. Um, In that same span of time, they beat the Raptors in Toronto and beat Houston and Charlotte. Um, They really benefited, I guess is what I'm saying from the time that they invested in these young guys. I'm glad you kind of brought up and gave us a synopsis on the roster because that does go into draft night at kind of what their approach is at pick number three because, look, there's a lot of people that have basically three names to go off of at pick number one, two, and three with Edwards, you know, Weissman, LaMelo Ball, and others. 
Um, but kind of how, how would the Hornets approach this as far as whether they want to draft a certain position or whether they want to draft basically what's best available at pick number three? You know, before I answer that question, I will say to you, I think that people should be very cautious of assuming that because Ball and Edwards and Wiseman sort of by default are seen as the three most likely players to go first, second, and third. I think this is not only a radically different draft from a year ago, but a radically different draft from most drafts. Um, there is nothing like a pecking order. I think you're going to see for that reason, people make teams making decisions based more on, you know, sort of eye of the beholder kind of things than, well, we can't pass up this guy because even if we don't need him, he's too good to pass. Um, where that dovetails into the Hornets in a way that's very distinct, I think, is Mitch has been shockingly open about saying that there that the need on this team, like when we asked him right after the season, you know, when you look at your roster, what is your greatest need? And he said, it's not positional at all. It's literally collective talent. Uh, like I said, I can argue easily that they are the most starless team in the league and that there's a danger in that. For that reason, there is nothing and no one on this roster whose presence would preclude them to, from doing anything with the third pick. They need somebody to build around. And even if this is not a great draft to find a great build around guy, this is the best shot they've had. It's been since 1999, since the last time they moved up in a, in a draft lottery. Rick, that uh, actually is a perfect segue to what I was going to ask you. Um, I think one of the things that Charlotte and New Orleans have in common is that a lot of the recent years where both teams have um, missed the playoffs, they've actually won too many games to have good odds as far as the lottery goes. But obviously, as you mentioned, they were able to move up to number three this year, which I'm, I'm assuming was a, was a well-received thing where, you know, they haven't had a lot of luck in the lottery in the past, as you mentioned, but what was the reaction in Charlotte as far as maybe the, the fan base or, or just in general to, to that news of being able to move up into the top three and really picking a part of the lottery that they haven't been able to move up to very often? Well, it's interesting that I'm talking to two guys with Pelicans connections <laughs> because the great resentment among Hornets fans is the idea that they had the worst winning percentage of any NBA team in any single season <laughs> and ended up not with the consolation prize for going through all that by getting AD, but ending up with a second pick. And, and quite frankly, they picked the wrong guy at two. You know, um, obviously Bradley Beal would have been much more useful to them ultimately than uh, Michael Kidd Gilchrist was. But the point was um, <laughs> the reason that people feel so burned about the draft here is because they felt like they should have, um, they, they felt like it was cosmically wrong, karmically wrong, <laughs> that they didn't end up with the top pick after literally the worst season in NBA history. Yeah, I remember that really well. I'm not sure if how how specific Daniel's memories are from that year, but uh, oh, I remember it. <laughs> yeah, because that was that was I think that was a year after you had started, right, Daniel? Yes, sir. So, but I, I do remember the bitterness, even though it wasn't something that we were subjected to a ton. But I do remember there were a lot of people that were happy for New Orleans, but there were people in North Carolina that were not pleased whatsoever. So, I totally and all kinds of weird, paranoid conspiracy theories <laughs> you know that that uh 
you know, that David Stern rigged it in order to thank the Bensons for taking the franchise off the league's hands and all kinds of weird stuff. And every time somebody comes up with one of those weird conspiracy theories, mm-hmm. I react to that with, oh, yeah, the first thing the NBA is going to do is rip off Michael Jordan. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, I think it's funny with the conspiracy things with the lottery. I've always pointed out to people that there are a lot of years where you could, before the lottery is held, you could come up with a conspiracy conspiracy theory for like maybe 10 different teams. So it's kind of like you just plug in whatever one is, whatever one applies to whoever wins the lottery that year. It's a Rorschach test. People see an ink blot and they make up whatever they think there is in their imagination. Sure. Um, Along the lines of specific to this year too, as far as Charlotte having the third pick, um, I know you, you mentioned how, we don't want to get carried away and act like it's a given that the three n- names of Ball, uh, Wiseman and Edwards are definitely going to be the top three. But do people think, do people perceive that this is a good year to have the third pick as far as the way the draft lines up? That's an interesting question. Um, the, the most, I think the thing that I can tell you that's most interesting about this draft is it says an awful lot that both the Timberwolves at number one and the Warriors at number two are very receptive to trading out of those Mm. two spots. Um, I know for a fact the Timberwolves don't know what to do with this. You know, they're searching around. Um, It's, it's a, I mean, you'd always want to have the first pick in any draft, but when you're in a situation where it's a, it, you know, you're throwing darts at a board in deciding who the best player is if you're the front office, that's a daunting situation. That's something that seemingly is of that consequence isn't a no-brainer. And you guys better than anybody knows. I mean, Zion was a no-brainer last season. And Ja was just as much of a no-brainer at number two. Yep. There is nothing even vaguely like that sort of a pecking order to this process. I thought it was really interesting um, when uh, when Chad Ford said a couple of months ago that – he, when he thinks that LaMelo Ball is the best player in this draft and somebody in Charlotte Sports Talk Radio had, had chat on and I thought the question was well put to, to Todd in a typical NBA draft how good a player is LaMelo Ball and he said that LaMelo probably isn't better than the fifth best player in the normal uh, pool of talent in an NBA draft hmm. that's interesting I think I think one thing from a kind of from flipping that perspective, I think some people would say that it's interesting that if there's no common ground as far as who who might be one, two or three, that picking third could be equal to picking first. But like you said, I agree with what you said as far as I mean, obviously, you'd rather be in that one spot so you can kind of determine your your uh, your fate. And if you like one guy way more than you like everyone else, you have the ability to uh, take that guy. So it, it's, it, but it's, it really is interesting the way that things line up this year. Um, I will say one thing about this draft that I think is important when people call this a bad draft, it's not a particularly good draft at the top where it does have a strength. You know, Mitch Kupchak told me a couple of months ago before they knew where they were picking, I said, how would you describe the nature of this draft pool? And I thought it was really interesting when Mitch said it's deep. He said, there may be next to no difference whatsoever between the player you would take at 20 and the player you would take at 35. Mm. 
Interesting. I mean, that could be good news for New Orleans. They're not in the top. They after they pick in the lottery, they pick. They're not in the top 35, but they're pretty darn close. They they pick 39, 42, and 60 in the second round. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Last thing for me before I go back to Daniel, um, just a question, not draft related necessarily about, but the you mentioned the connection that these two uh, cities and franchises have as far as the NBA. Obviously, in 2013, New Orleans changed their name to Pelicans, which paved the way for Charlotte to change its name back to Hornets the, the following year. J just in general, what do you think has been the reception of, of people, of the fans in, in Charlotte to, to, to reclaiming that Hornets name and how popular that's been? People cared about it more than I anticipated. You know, I've covered the, I've covered the franchise here from day one in 88. I thought, I knew that there was a level of a nostalgia about the colors and the pinstripes and but I really, at the end of the day, I didn't know how much that mattered, considering all the bitterness that was involved in the, 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 the political hassle over the arena and the original team moving into New Orleans. I, I just didn't know how much it mattered anymore because, you know, as you'll probably remember, that last year and a half when after they'd said they were going to New Orleans, James and Charlotte were a ghost town. But it really, but people did still really love that look. And so, rebranding re to Hornets turned out to be a terrific, um, terrific decision. Um, it was kind of odd because the, the, they just recently fixed something that I cannot believe that they didn't do right the first time, which is that the, when they went back to the Hornets, back to the name and back to the colors, um, I took it for granted that the, that the uniform design you couldn't do it exactly the way that those uniforms looked at 891. There are copyright problems, mm -hmm. but you can make them look damn close. And I was shocked that the uniforms, when they went back to the Hornets, didn't look like old Hornets uniforms at all. And they just came out with new uniforms that finally brought back the pinstripes. And it was like, you know, don't screw this up. And they finally <laughs> got it right again. Yeah, between the pinstripes and the honeycomb court, it, it just feels yeah. right that that everything is back in Charlotte. And it, it took me a, basically a year to not say Hornets every time we were on the air and saying Pelicans basketball. So I'm glad we could put that to bed. But this is really good stuff from Rick Bonnell, of course, who covers the NBA, the Hornets, and a lot of other things for the Charlotte Observer. You can follow him on Twitter at Rick underscore Bonnell, B-O-N-N-E-L-L. -L. Rick, I appreciate the time. This was very informative. And we'll talk to you down the line. Thanks again. Well, I just want to tell you two guys, you have no idea how lucky you are that you are going to be interviewing Stan Van Gundy <laughs> day after day after day. He's the best quote in the league. Absolutely. I had him for a year in Orlando when I was there, and I'm looking forward to having him back again. Rick, I appreciate the time. Thank you. Sure thing. All right, now let's go to pick number four, the Chicago Bulls. We caught up with Casey Johnson, Bulls insider for NBC Sports Chicago. Here's what he had to say about the, what the Bulls might do at pick number four. Casey, I appreciate the time. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Good, good, good. Uh, it's been a it's been an interesting uh, whirlwind off season for the Chicago Bulls. Let's first start with the new head coach and Billy Donovan. What's been the buzz uh, in Chicago ever since the Bulls named Billy Donovan their head coach? Well, I think the fan base is largely uh, uh, I'm painting in broad strokes here, but has mm -hmm. largely been very optimistic about all the changes that have happened. Uh, clearly, the previous regime of John Paxson and Gar Foreman had you know, a lengthy tenure and uh, starting with the hiring of Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley, they've changed the front office and that just continued the momentum with a, a proven name in Billy Donovan. I think 
you know, there's been rightly or wrongly kind of this perception that the Bulls have done things a little bit on the cheap side uh, over the past decade or so, which I think is not completely accurate, but certainly uh, the fan base has embraced it. And, you know, when you go out and spend the money you do to go get the biggest name at the time on the market, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's something that I think fans are reacting to very positively. Yeah, it's, it's been interesting, especially with the, with the draft coming up and with Chicago, you know, having played since March, I'm having all this time off. Now you kind of have to, with a new coach and a new front office, have to turn your attention to the draft and then possibly after that a new season. How crazy has it been, I guess, from that perspective that you're basically going to have a new whole regime uh, kind of having the number four pick overall. It seems kind of crazy there. Yeah, everything about this offseason for all teams uh, has been crazy. Obviously, we're in unprecedented territory for for everybody with COVID. Um, you know, I think uh, Delete 18, which uh, John Hollinger, I believe, was the first to come up with that beautiful nickname. Uh, you know, I, I think those teams are probably at the biggest disadvantage. They, the Bulls did just have their little, you know, second bubble here in Chicago. But, you know, they basically were just team bonding and getting up and down the court a little bit. So to not have played a competitive game since March. And then, you know, whenever the 2021 season kicks off, um, it's going to be a challenge, but I think in, you know, getting back to the Donovan hire, I think that's where you have a lot of, um, you know, uh, positivity because you've got a, obviously a guy who's been through a lot in five seasons in Oklahoma city. He's coached a lot of different rosters. He's very adept at developing things on the fly and, and changing his system to fit the personnel that he's given. And you've got a veteran guy, um, you know, in him. So whatever the it's thrown at the NBA and the bulls in particular, I think, I think they're well, well suited to handle. Casey, what, when you mentioned Billy Donovan, um, what do you think is going to be the, some of the impacts that he makes in terms of maybe um, style of play or, or whatever direction you want to go with this, uh, where they go in the draft or even the stability. It just seems like from the outside that they've been in a situation where they've been kind of temporary the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the biggest thing that jumps out to me from, and I kind of just touched on this in my previous answer from Billy's five-year stint and uh, is, you know, he obviously coached a lot of different rosters. I mean, he inherited a team that was loaded with superstars with uh, Durant and, and Westbrook. And, and then by year five, he basically was, you know, coaching a team that some people didn't even think were going to make the playoffs. And I think the fact that he drew, you know, maybe his biggest plaudits for that last season, that fifth season speaks to how he can kind of move into this new situation in Chicago, which is still, you know, in the middle of a rebuild and uh, has a lot of untapped potential. Um, you know, one thing that I've written about at NBCSportsChicago.com and the fan base is certainly guessing or clamoring or having fun with is like which player on the Bulls roster is going to benefit most from from Billy's arrival uh, you can go a lot of different directions with that but it's clear that this is a guy that you know maximizes the talent that that is in front of him and you know had no problem getting a lot out of young players um, in, in Oklahoma City last year my personal pick if you're going to apply to a Bulls situation is Wendell Carter Jr. I think this is a guy who's you know, if you remember back just a couple of years ago to his pre-draft comps, the name you always heard was Al Horford, who coincidentally, you know, Billy coached uh, in college at, at Florida. And we really have not seen at the offensive end anything remotely close to that. Uh, there's a lot of untapped potential offensively, I think, for a young big like Wendell Carter Jr. The, you know, the the hot comp now would be Bam out of IU, you know, coming, uh, you know, with his great playoff. 
Um, and I'm not saying Wendell can get there, but he certainly, in my estimation, can uh, can show you more offensively than he has his first couple of seasons in the league. Casey, briefly, I, I guess for people that maybe don't follow the Bulls regularly, if we can go back to last season, I remember last summer, which feels like a lifetime ago, the Bulls were kind of a trendy pick as far as maybe they can sneak in as like a seven or eight seed into the playoffs. Um, what happened? I mean, do you think it was was it was it unrealistic to think that, or was it just that the injuries? made it impossible to, to be a playoff contender or, or some combination of that? I think it's a combination. As far as answering your question, I think it's a combination of, of both those things. I think the expectations were a un, little unrealistic. I did not personally pick them to make the playoffs, but I certainly did not pick them to have the train wreck season that they had. And that's what we need to get into is injuries certainly played a part of that. There's no question about that. But it was a pretty dysfunctional season from the jump. Um, you know, Jim Boylan, obviously, with his first full season as a head coach, there were a lot of uh, expectations and excitement entering last season, and then it just did not go smoothly at all. Um, and I don't think that all falls at Jim's feet, and obviously he paid the price when a new regime comes in. It should be noted that if John Paxson and Gar Foreman were still in charge of management, Jim Boylan would be running it back this year. He certainly would be the coach this year, regardless of what happened last year. And he points to a lot of things that he did well. I mean, for a young team, they did defend well. It was a pretty risk-heavy scheme, a lot of blitzes and a lot of high, uh, you know, pressure for steals. It was kind of a feast or famine defense. But statistically, for a young team, it they, they played hard and they guarded well. Offensively, they really struggled all season long. Um, there was a well-documented incident in which Jim – pulled Zach Levine early from a home loss uh, against the Miami Heat. Uh, three minutes into the game, singled, singled out Zach for what he termed three egregious defensive mistakes. And Zach did not take well to that, you know, as kind of the leader of the team. So there was, there was a lot going on last season. Um, players were kind of questioning the systems occasionally. Offensively, they were in a feast or famine role where you, they totally eschewed the mid-range game and shot threes or, or layups. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a difficult season on a lot of levels. And then obviously, you know, cutting it, cutting it short from, from COVID added to that as well. Along similar lines, when you look back at last season or just the big picture overall, is it too early to know what the Bulls have in their young core? Or I guess part of it too, is it just seems like some of these guys, you mentioned Wendell Carter, haven't been on the floor very much. So, I mean, where are the Bulls as far as assessing what they actually have in some of the building blocks that are on the roster? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I, quite frankly, don't know. I, I don't know the new management regime well enough. I knew Arturis a little bit uh, from Denver. We had a couple of mutual friends. I, I, I've spoken to Mark Eversley three times in my life. So I don't really know how this new management regime views this core. Um, you know, they're not beholden to any of them. What I will say is what you've heard consistently from them in their public remarks is that they say this team underachieved last season. They flat out say that the talent is more is better than what you saw on the court. So they obviously see some value uh, in some pieces. I mean, if you look at the roster, it's it's weird to say for a team that's been so poor since the Jimmy Butler trade, but there really are a lot of intriguing young pieces on this roster. I think a lot of rosters or would like a guy like a Kobe White or a Wendell Carter Jr. Um, or even a Zach Levine. Um, but they just haven't come together. Uh, and obviously, you know, Larry Markinen had a pretty significant regression last season. Part of it was usage. Part of it was injury. Part of it was just his own kind of personality, um, not really meshing with the, the offensive system they, they tried to play. So there are a lot of 
interesting pieces, but it just hasn't coalesced. And, and yeah, health is a part of it. You, you mentioned Wendell's injuries. Lowry's been injured. Um, really the only guy that's been consistently healthy is Zach Levine. But, you know, you're talking about a guy entering year seven who's never been in a playoff game. So uh, individually, he's done a lot. But, you know, team success is not followed. And, and we'll see what comes out of it this season. As far as the draft coming up next month and the Bulls have the fourth pick, it, it seems to me that there's a kind of a semi-consensus or close to a consensus that there's a tier of three players that people think might go one, two, three, and some and whatever combination. But obviously then the Bulls pick fourth. How do you think that affects um, their decision-making and does it add to or impact maybe their trade possibilities that they're, you know people think that there's a top three guys, but then maybe somebody – from another team really likes a guy that they want to move up to fourth, for example. Yeah, we're all doing a lot of tea leaf reading at this time of year, especially mm -hmm. when, again, you've got a new management regime. Like I, I covered John Paxson and Gar Former for so long, I almost feel like I know, like I could predict what they're going to do because I knew how they thought. Sure. I, I knew them both so well personally, and I'm doing a lot of tea leaf reading. So what I will say is Arturis in his, you know, nights from the uh, draft lottery when the Bulls jumped from seven to four, talked about the unpredictability of this draft and how one team might see a guy at four that another team might have at like 18. That's how disparate this, this draft is. And then it's complicated, obviously, guys, by the fact that this is an unprecedented draft combine process with, you know, they did finally allow some in-person visits and, and ability to see some workouts, but it's still not anywhere near the amount of intelligence that teams have been able to gather in the past. I mean, no conference tournaments, no NCAA tournament, et cetera. So it's, it's a lot. Um, I'm doing a lot of research on drafts that Karnaschovas uh, participated in with Tim Connolly in Denver um, and Mark Eversley, both uh, in Toronto and, and Philadelphia. Those teams were per, tip, typically pretty active on draft night. Denver particular, in particular did a lot of either trading up or trading down. Um, but, you know, in this draft, you need two teams to tango to do that. And uh, you might, again, uh, one team might have a guy slotted at four that another guy might have at 10 or, or what have you. So um, I've, I've heard the talk of a three-person draft, but even that seems to be changing a lot of mock draft boards now. So um, another thing I can tell you about our tourists just studying him, and, and he's addressed this actually in, in some of his comments to, to us reporters, is that he does not get hung up on need or position. Um, he drafts best talent. Um, and you can look at his uh, Denver situation. The, the example I always point to is the night they, it's, coincidentally, they traded with the Bulls in the Doug McDermott trade. They traded to get Gary Harris and Yusuf Nurkic, uh, the draft rights to those guys for the McDermott pick, and then turned around and drafted Nikola Jokic in the second round in the same draft. And they just figured it out as it went along. I mean, Jokic is not a bad player by any stretch of the imagination but Jokic is better. So they figured out fit later and then they flip Jokic, I'm sorry, Jokic for a, uh, Nurkic for a, uh, for a, uh, um, you know, draft ass, or I'm sorry, an asset with Portland down the road. So, um, you know, that's, it doesn't seem like he's going to get hung up on position. If I, I'm just throwing out an example of Obi Toppin is their number is on the board and it's their slot and he's, they're, they're going to draft him, even though they on paper are pretty set with young bigs. Um, so, that, that's just what you can go on right now, but uh, it'll certainly be interesting on draft night. Last thing for me before I go back to Daniel, um, the sporadically over the last few years, I've gone to the draft combine in Chicago. You guys have a little bit of a advantage because it's right there in your backyard, but you get a sense in general uh, that this has been a tougher draft than any we've seen. You, you touched on 
how there's been, there was no NCAA tournament, how difficult this has been to kind of get a feel for this draft with all of the elements of the preparation that have been missing this year. I do think it's the most difficult. I mean, I've been, I've been covering the NBA since 1996 and I've never seen anything like this. Um, and particularly now in this day and age where, I mean, there, there's so much information gathering and analytics are such a big part of the game. Um, you know, and I can just go by again what our tourists and Mark Eversley have said publicly to us. And they both talk about how they're guys that love to be in the gym, love the development to, to develop the relationship component. And that's all been gone for all teams since, since March, except for obviously those teams that were in the bubble and were playing games and those were already established relationships, but they were to, able to continue them. So to me, it's really unprecedented. Um, I think in some ways this may be optimistic, but the Bulls may be pretty well suited in the sense that you've got our tourists coming from both his Rockets and Nuggets draft background. Mark Eversley has uh, executive experience with Toronto, Washington, and Philadelphia. Uh, Pat Connolly, Tim's younger brother, um, is high up now in the Bulls food chain and, you know, comes from the Phoenix Suns and Denver Nuggets. So you've got guys from a lot of different backgrounds who have been through a lot of, you know, I hate to use the term war rooms, but that's, I guess, technically what they're called in, on draft night, uh, you know, who have been through a lot of different processes and have strong opinions and have just been through a lot of different situations. And I think if you take that experience and kind of you know, use it together, um, you can reach the right conclusion, even though you have had a different process to get there. Casey, before I let you go and talking about expectations, you look at Billy Donovan taking this job and figuring, you know, if you probably took this job to think that this Bulls team has a lot of potential, they can be back in, in the playoffs. Does that change things about how they draft as far as, you know, if that trade is right there, they can get a veteran piece, they would stick that in there instead of a, a younger guy that could help and maybe, I guess a rebuild, but they're not really in a rebuild. I guess how would the, the timetable be on, on a on a process like this with a new GM and a new coach as far as how they approach not only the draft, but potentially free agency as well? Yeah, Arturis and Mark Eversley have both called this not a rebuild, a retool, mm -hmm. you know, which is kind of a new buzzword yeah. in today's age. So I, I think you're you make a great point with the D Billy Donovan hire because, you know, all the speculation, which Billy has since shot down publicly, but all the speculation when he and OKC split up was that he just didn't want to go through a rebuild. He claimed that wasn't the case, but, you know, it's clear that, you know, the Bulls had to sell him on their vision moving forward. And, you know, uh, he is used to winning in Oklahoma City. So I don't think they're in a win now. Obviously, for a team that won 22 games last season and didn't qualify for the bubble, they're not in a win now situation. But again, I just go back to what they've said publicly is how they feel like they've underachieved. So I do feel like they think that they can make a jump next season. Um, as far as whether or not that, that means they use their pick or flip it to try to turn into an asset, I, I can't guess to guess to that. Um, I, I'm sure our tourist has plans, but again, it takes two teams to, to make a trade uh, happen. Um, I do know that they think if Otto Porter Jr. is healthy, who was largely missing last year, that can be a big help to them. So there's one veteran that they haven't had in the past. And, you know, um, I, I assume that they've got a plan with the number four pick and just see, read, read the, read the tea leaves as we get closer to draft night. Yeah. A lot of uncertainty for a ton of teams. And that includes whether these teams should trade back or trade up. And it'll certainly be interesting come November 18th. That's Casey Johnson, Bulls insider for NBC Chicago. Follow him on Twitter at KCJ hoop, a really great follow if you want to learn more about the Chicago Bulls. Casey, this was great. I appreciate the time. I enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate yeah. it.
All right, that will do it for a Pelicans podcast today presented by SeatGeek. Again, everyone stay safe. And hopefully when we talk next week, everyone will have power as we'll continue with our podcast next week with a couple of draft previews. Again, the Atlanta Hawks and the Cleveland Cavaliers are up for pick number five and six. And who knows who else will stop by next week as well. All right, have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek.